today. We're going to be in Matthew 12. Don't worry. We're going to have all the relevant text right here on the screen, and you can follow along right there on, on Matthew 12. If you're joining us online today, I'm so glad you're joining us. But for those of you who don't know, my name's Sean. I'm one of the pastors here, and we hope this time together will be an encouragement to you. Uh, this morning... Before we get into Matthew 12, we have some special guests um, today. One of them's here in person, and, and then one's actually at my house watching online. My in-laws are here this weekend, uh, Jack and Michelle Ward. And uh, yeah, I haven't even gotten to the part where you should be excited yet, so I'm glad you guys are excited, because that's a good day. Hey, so uh, Paul, he's writing to the church at Rome, and he says this to the church at Rome. He says, give honor where honor is due. And I have the great privilege of having in-laws who have faithfully served Jesus in ministry for decades now and continue to do so in Missouri. And so can, can, we, can we give them a round of applause as a way of saying thank you for their service to our king? Yeah. If, if you're online today, you can, you can write a little message. If you're on Facebook, you can find them on Facebook and you can harass them on their Facebook page. Uh, Michelle is my mother-in-law. She's spelled with one L and then Jack Ward. You can do that. Uh, but if you comment, we'll make sure they see it. Uh, uh, we are grateful for their service to our king. Also, we have a great team of teachers around here. Last week, Zach filled in. Didn't he kill it? Wasn't it awesome having Zach? I, I, love, I love Zach, I love his heart, I love the way he communicates. Um, uh, someone else told me um, that Zach has this ability to stab you and you go, oh, thank you. <laughs> like he just has this way of just digging in and you're like, oh, I so needed that. Um, and last week, if you missed last week, you can go back, you can find it on Facebook on our website and you can find the sermon and you should watch it. But um, Rick Warren famously said, that by Sunday night, you will have forgotten 85% of what was said on Sunday morning. 85, he said by Tuesday, you've forgotten 95%. So I just, I have really fair expectations of what you guys are gonna remember a week later, okay? Um, uh, but I wanted to make sure you got the most important thing that Zach said all of last week. Okay. Zach said some really great things, and if you're a note taker and you missed last week, you can write this down. Make sure you take this note. Um, we don't have a video of it. We just have audio, um, and so if it, let's listen really carefully and listen to what Zach has to say to us right here on this video. But hey, welcome. I'd like to welcome everybody here. Thank you, uh, online viewers. I just uh, just a reminder: the camera adds 25 to 50 pounds, so. <laughs> This, I, I'm a lot more fitter in real life. I just want you guys to know. Well, if you watched online, you probably thought that was funny because you heard what he said. But if you were in person, he said this. He said, just remember, the camera adds 25 to 55 pounds, and uh, I'm a lot fitter than I really am. So I want you to remember that. <laughs> Everybody in the room can testify. I'm a lot fitter than it looks like you've been watching me for the last six months get this way. Anyways, um, <laughs> no, I am, I'm really grateful for Zach. We are in the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 12. 
Matthew 12, it is such a perfect spot for us to get back into the book of Matthew because in this moment, Matthew is actually going to pause for us. And we're, we're getting right back into the part of the story after five months out of the book of Matthew, we're getting into a spot where Matthew's pausing for us and he's reframing something. And, and it's important um, because uh, the first 11 chapters... The first 11 chapters can be wrought with conflict. Zach talked last week, and he gave us a really great opportunity to kind of refocus and reframe and re-understand conflict and chaos and brokenness in this world. And, and conflict is something that is not foreign to any of us, and it wasn't foreign to Jesus' life. And it looks like as you read through, now a lot of the first century readers, they would have read the book of Matthew, started in Matthew 1, and just read until they're done. Now it's taken us two and a half years to get to Matthew 12, okay? But uh, it, could, it, it, it can easily begin to feel like the book of Matthew is just conflict after conflict after conflict. In fact, to see Matthew's pause, I, I wanna see what sets up Matthew's pause. So if you have a Bible, Matthew 12, if not, it'll be here on the screen. Matthew 12, verse 13, it says this, okay? We looked at the story about five months ago. Then he said to the man, Jesus said to the man with a paralyzed hand, stretch out your hand, he stretched it out, and it became well again, just like the other one. Then, then watch this. Watch the reaction. Then the Pharisees left and made plans to kill Jesus. He heals a man, and the people's response, the Pharisees' response, the people in power, the religious leaders, their response in the, in the midst of such a good and great thing of healing a man, they left and made plans to kill Jesus. You see, if you're a first century reader reading through the book of Matthew, it could get exhausting. Because all you see through the book of Matthew is Jesus doing good thing after good thing after good thing after good thing. And there's this, this enemy that keeps rising up against him. And he's working through these Pharisees and he works through religious leaders and he works through the scribes and, the, and, and, and rising up. And it seems like there's just running after running after running. And it can seem like every single page of the book of Matthew as you read through all there is is more hate, more anger, more violence, more division, more conflict. And so Paul, Paul takes a moment, uh, Matthew takes a moment to pause because, man, it can get exhausting. It can get, it can build up in us anxiety and anger and fear and sometimes even tears and maybe even despair. And I wonder today, if maybe it wasn't just the first century readers of Matthew that needed a moment to pause from all the chaos and conflict in their lives and have a little bit of a reset. So here it is, verse 15. This may be the most important thing we read today. Look at verse 15. This is like so good. It says this. I know you, you can read it on the screen. This is why I'm pausing, because you're reading it on the screen right now, and you're just kind of surprised that I'm really excited about this verse. But this verse is going to give you so much life if you take it to heart. Look at this. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Sometimes the most God-honoring thing you can do is to withdraw from that place. Even Jesus, I mean, okay, so here's a little uh, basic Christian theology. Jesus is the son of God. We believe that he is um, one of the three persons of the triune God, that he is fully God, completely, 100%, fully God. Jesus, fully, completely God. Jesus gets tired and has to withdraw himself from that place. 
For some of you, today, you need to give yourself permission to withdraw from that place. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe for some of you, let's be honest, let's be honest. If we had a little chair right here, if we had a little couch, if we had a nice couch, I'd have the team bring out a little nice couch and we could do like a daytime talk show. And I could sit down and I could look you in the whites of the eyes and I could say, you, you, you need to check out of that, right? For some of you, for some of you, some of you need, what would happen if you withdrew from watching the news for 30 days? <laughs> now take a deep breath. Let me, let, me, let me remind you, the world is not held together by you watching the news. Do you know what else would happen in 30 days? There'd be joy and rest. Some, some of you, some of you need to withdraw from that place. Uh, some of you, some of you, it's Facebook. Some of you need to withdraw from that place. So some of you need to give yourself permission to step away from that place. Because you see, even Jesus had to. Jesus left good things. Did you see what Jesus was doing? Did you remember what we just read? He just healed a man. That's what like the first 11 chapters are. Jesus heals this guy, and then he goes here, and he heals this guy, and then they get angry, and he goes over here, and he heals this guy, and they get angry, and he goes over here, and he heals this guy. He leaves good things. He withdraws from good things so that he can stay on track to accomplish the great thing that he's gonna accomplish in the cross. For some of you, it's Instagram or Snapchat or Twitter, and it is robbing you of joy, and it's robbing your family. And you need to give yourself permission today to withdraw from that place. Some of you, it's relationships. Not all of them, hopefully not. But for some of you, there are some relationships, there are some people in your life that you need to give yourself permission to withdraw from that place. Because their anger, their hatred, their bitterness, their gossip is poisoning your soul. Some of you need to give yourself permission to withdraw from that place. Some, some of you, it's a, it's a hobby. At least, at least that's what we call it. We call it a hobby, right? If we were to use biblical terms, if we were to talk like it does in the Bible, we'd use a different word. It's a four-letter word. It'd be an idol. Because there are some of you that you're so consumed with a hobby that it's robbing you and your family and you need to give yourself permission to withdraw from that place. Now hear me. Not all, good thi not all things you need to withdraw th from are because they're bad. Is, is healing a, a guy, is healing a guy a bad thing? No. No, but Jesus withdrew from that place. He withdrew from that place. Some of you need to withdraw from places not because you don't care enough, but because you care too much. Um, some of you need to withdraw from that place because unchecked good things that become God things become grave things to your soul. Let me say that again. Unchecked good things that become God things become graves for your soul. Some of you, some of you care too much about things that have become idols and gods to you, and you, just like Jesus, need to withdraw yourself from that place. The conflict doesn't end in Jesus' life simply because he withdraws. 
And the conflict won't end in your life because you would draw from places. But there are some things in this world that are sapping, that are robbing the life and joy out of your soul. And you need to give yourself permission to withdraw, to reset. Maybe even a better word is you need a chance to withdraw, to refocus. The, the words of Hebrew, uh, the author of Hebrews writes this, it might be helpful here. The author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 12. Uh, let us, let us, right? That sounds very invitational, but it's also a command. Like, do it. <laughs> let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. See him. Behold him. Recognize him. Acknowledge him. Shift your eyes. Refocus on him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that, okay, here, here's the connection, so that all the way back up here, let us fix our eyes on Jesus so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When I was learning to ride a bicycle some years ago, my uncle told me this, I'm sure you've probably heard it. He said, where your eyes go, your body will follow. And so my question for you is really simply today is where are your eyes fixed? Are they on the conflict of this world? Are they on your fears? Are they on the worries? Are they on the, on the stuff other people have or the opportunities other people have? Are they on the other things of this world? Because the writer of Hebrew would call to us 2,000 years ago, again today, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And this is exactly what Matthew does. In the midst of an exhausted, tired people, he writes them this letter in the book of Matthew and then dead center of it, he pauses to say, hey, remember what this is all about. Because you see, in the midst of the conflict, it, it can, our eyes can shift, and when our eyes begin to shift on the conflict and not Christ, there is no hope for change. And so Matthew pauses, verse 18, this is what he says, look at this. This is what he says, verse 18. We're gonna read all the way through it, and then we're gonna look at it verse by verse. In the time we have left, hoping that this might be an invitation to our souls to take seriously what Hebrews 12 says, to fix our eyes on Jesus. So Hebrews, uh, so Matthew 12, verse 18, it says this. Behold, there's that word again. There's that idea. It's like, it's like the, the writers of the Bible are just screaming at us. Look, look where your eyes are looking. Pay attention. See what you should be looking at. Behold. Look at, notice my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory, and in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Behold, look, don't get distracted, don't, don't despair, don't, don't get weary and lose heart. Behold, see, fix your eyes on my son, my servant, 
Let's look back at verse 18. There's, there's a sentence in there, the second sentence right there. It says this, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. Now, if you're reading the book of Matthew, this may be familiar to you, but if you're reading the book of Matthew all the way through, you, you'd come to this verse and there'd be something familiar, right? You'd be like, I, I feel like I've, I've heard that before. I've read that before because it's come up before. In Matthew 3, verse 17, you don't have to turn over there, but I'm gonna read it to you. Matthew 3, verse 17, it says this. Jesus being baptized, and behold! <laughs> I mean, could God be any more clear? Look! A voice out of heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That word beloved. Uh, the word in Greek is agapetos. Okay, and we're all gonna say that in a second, so I'll say it a couple times for you. It's agapetos. Okay, if you're at home or in your car or in your bedroom, wherever you are, uh, you're gonna say it with us, okay? The Lord knows all things, okay? We're all gonna say it together. We're gonna say it on three. Here we go. One, two, three, agapetos. There you go. Now, now, if you've spent a lot of time in church, th there might be um, some familiarity. You, may, you may, may sound a little bit familiar because you may recognize that the root word of that is agape, which is one of the words we translate in the Bible to the word love. There, there's a couple of words that we use, but it is the undefiled holy love of God. Right, And so an agapetos is an object, it's a noun, it's an object of receiving that love, that holy, completely undefiled love of God. Agapetos, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. For thousands of years, this agapetos, this, this beloved one of God, has, has changed the course of human history. And believers and non-believers alike haven't been able to turn their eyes away from this man, Jesus, that lived 2,000 years ago. Because there's something unique and different about him. Th this book has enraptured people, even people who don't believe it to be fully true. Because there's something so different and unique about this Jesus, this beloved one, his servant, his son, who God put his spirit on. And so this morning, as we are having an invitation to pause and to refocus, I, I wanna take a moment and I just wanna read to you from another part of scripture, from Colossians. I don't want you to look it up and I don't want you to read it. I'm not gonna put it on the screen because I don't want you to be distracted and trying to follow along and read it. I just want you for a moment just to sit and listen and to remember the beauty and the goodness of this beloved one, this, this, this son of God. So it says this in Colossians. We look at the son, Jesus, and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at the son, Jesus, and see God's original purpose in everything created for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels. Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him alone. He was there before any of it came into existence and he holds it all together right up to this very moment. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme even to the end. From beginning to end, he's there. 
towering far above everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of this universe, people and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fitted together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. This is our Jesus. This is our Savior. This is Christ, our hope. He continues on in verse 20, says this, Matthew does. A battered reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. You see, this Jesus, this God that we worship and celebrate is compassionate and kind. It doesn't take a scholar to understand what Matthew's trying to say in, in, the, in, these, in these two statements, a battered reed. A reed is already weak and susceptible to just a simple kick or trampling, but a, a bruised or battered reed that's been bruised by the brokenness of this world, aching for healing and just to hold out on life. That our God, that our Jesus is kind and compassionate, that a smoldering wick just a little flame that's just gasping for air to hold out in this tumultuous winds of this broken world. He will shelter. He will protect and he will give life to. You see, our Jesus is kind and compassionate to the downtrodden, to the brokenhearted, to the rejected, to the unwanted and the overlooked, to the abused and the broken and the hurting. He said, uh, Peter says this in first, uh, Peter 5, verse 15. He says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. But he gives grace to the humble. You see, humbly coming to the foot of the cross, coming to our Jesus, dropping everything at the foot of his throne, you don't find condemnation. You find grace and mercy and kindness and hope and healing. In fact, Jesus says this, if you find yourself today tired and beat up and bruised and just gasping for air to hold on, he, he, said, he says these words, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. In humble surrender, we find compassion and victory in this Jesus. Matthew ends this little passage in verse 21, and he says this, and in his name, the Gentiles will hope. I wonder, I wonder if maybe in this season, I wonder if what God's trying to say to you is he's just asking this question, just like he asked Paul. You ready to give up yet? You, you ready to quit trying to find hope and confidence and purpose and joy in things that wither and fail? He, he says it this way to Paul. He says, you, you ready to quit bucking up against what I want to do in you? I wonder if part of what God's been doing in the season is asking you, are you ready to quit trying to find hope in the things of this world? Because you see, in Jesus alone do we find the hope of redemption. 
In Jesus alone do we find hope of purpose and hope of justice and hope of healing. In Jesus alone, everything else, Scripture says, and we know, if we're honest with ourselves, everything else fails. Everything else fades. Everything else rusts away. Everything else is going to forget your name in a generation or two. But Jesus is the only place that we can find hope. So I wonder if today, if God's asking you, you ready to give up yet? You ready to come humbly before me and drop all your brokenness and all your hurt and all your anger and all the conflict of this world at the foot of my cross and find hope and find healing? He says this to a woman who's downtrodden and beat up and exhausted like this bruised reed or this wick that's just barely hanging on. He, he says this to her. He says, um, what I will give you, what I give will become an, a, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You see this morning, if you find yourself exhausted, tired, burned out, angry, frustrated, bitter, hopeless, feeling rejected. Jesus is inviting you to come. Come to me and find hope. Come to me and find forgiveness. Come to me and find purpose. Come to me and find joy. I wonder, church, I, I wonder if just for too long, too many of us have lost our focus. We've talked about Jesus. We've read bumper stickers of our faith about Jesus. And yet our eyes have wandered away from Christ and on to the conflict and brokenness of this world. And Jesus is calling us, Matthew's calling us to fix our eyes again on our hope and our salvation. The author and perfecter of our faith who endured the cross and its shame so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This morning, this morning, if you don't know that Jesus, if you don't know this Jesus that we celebrate and talk about, we want to invite you to choose, and all you have to do is simply bring yourself before the Lord and say, God, I give up. I give up. I, I want life. I want hope. I want redemption. I want forgiveness. I want purpose. I want you. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite you to say a prayer with me. If, if today you, you need to give yourself to follow Jesus, we, we plead with you, ask you to fill out a connect card because we'd love to connect with you and talk with you and follow along with you and walk with you on this journey. If you are a follower of Jesus, maybe in this moment we just need a simple act of repentance of simply quieting our souls and refocusing our heart, letting the things of this world fade into the background so that we can again see the glorious beauty of our Savior